Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key 22 years ago and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license their products ever since. Um, I started doing this uh, YouTube Monday Q&A during COVID and I haven't stopped. Everybody says they're really enjoying it. I hope you enjoy it today. Um, so we're going to do a full hour of Q&A on licensing. So licensing means basically you're renting or leasing your idea to a large company and receiving royalties. Before I keep going, um, Dana or Eric or anybody else in there, if you could type yes, just to confirm that you can hear me, um, that would be great. That's always a good thing to do. Um, so, hey, Dana. So Dana is... Um, uh, one of our, our former students, a graduate of InventRight, and now she actually works for InventRight. So Dana, um, thank you for attending. Feel free to jump in with any cool questions, Dana, or in, any input that you have. Um, she licensed a, a cool product called the Shower Caddy to, uh, to a company, and she's just currently receiving royalties for that. Um, so today what we're focusing on is always, as always, is licensing your products for royalties to large companies. So you don't need to start a business. Um, you don't need employees. You don't need money. And uh, you can just continue to license your products to these large companies. Maybe you license a pet product over here, a car product over here. Maybe you just focus on one area that can be very beneficial. And you just love doing kitchen gadgets. And you just keep reaching out and licensing more and more kitchen gadgets. Whatever suits you, there's all sorts of industries out there. Some of them are sleeping dinosaurs, so they don't really innovate. Other ones, they're innovating quite frequently. And regardless, you can license to all those types of companies. Some are harder than others, but you can always do it. So let's just jump in and start answering some questions. You can type them into the chat and we'll get going here. I'll either read whatever silly handle you have is, or if you put your first name, I'll read that. Um, Jeff said, oh, no, sorry, it was Eric was first. Hello, Andrew, just finished completing my PPA uh, via the Smart IP tool. We have a um, software you can purchase on eventright.com that'll help you file a provisional patent. It's only like 99 bucks. It's cheap. And then you just pay the patent office fee of 75 bucks. And we also give that to our students. You have unlimited use if you're a student, coaching student of ours. So he's saying, um, how long after filing it does it go into effect? Um, as soon as you get any sort of confirmation back that they, they received it, it's, it's, it's immediate. And you can say, Eric, not provisional. All our students say, and you can legally say, patents pending. You don't have to tell them it's a provisional when you're like making a sell sheet. If somebody directly asks you, you should say that. But legally, you can say patent pending. And so just a little point of clarification here. Oh, and before we 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 keep going here, um, I just want a little legal disclaimer. Anything that I share with you not should not be considered legal advice. Please seek the service attorney for legal advice, just general business advice. And so that's my little disclaimer. <laughs> so usually I forget to give that, and I give it like halfway through when somebody asks some sort of legal question. Um, so it should go in effect immediately, and you can save patent pending. But just make sure you get confirmation back, and you're good. Now, people get really worried about that. Oh, but I haven't got confirmation. I'm like, in, in the 22 years we've been doing event, right, that's never, ever been a problem. I mean, you want to make sure it got filed. So that's a, I'll, I'll 
because they've got so many questions over the years. Sometimes people go, well, Andrew, can I put patent pending on there even if I don't file a provisional? I'm like, no, that's not legally correct. You can't lie and say it's patent pending when it's not. I don't think there's any the patent office has police to go out and, and 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 monitor that, but that could get you into trouble. So come on, guys, it's a provisional patent's only 75 bucks. So don't put patent pending on your sell sheet or provisional patent pending. Everybody, all our students just put patent pending unless you actually filed a provisional patent application. Um, and people worry about little things like that. Oh, I filed it, but when can I say that? And as soon as you get confirmation, which should be pretty much immediately, uh, you can say that, but I've had people that didn't get the confirmation, but they, whatever, they're like, oh, there it was, you, you know, I got, you know, you paid the fee, you did all that, you're good. People get wrapped up in little problems like this. I think it's a good question, though, Eric. I think a lot of other people feel the same way. Um, okay, Jeff said, if a potential client passes, that means that I guess they're not interested in the product. And I put it on the back burner for six months. Do I need to ask for permission again to send them the updated sell sheet for the original product? Oh, okay. So I think Jeff's going by one of the things that I'm always telling our students and our students license stuff all the time this way. Sometimes you'll get a lot of non-specific no's, not at this time, not a right match for us. And they may have actually liked the product, but they were just too busy to take it on. So it wasn't the company. It was like the marketing manager you got to. They're just too overwhelmed with projects. So they give this generic response because some, just to be honest, some companies, they don't want to give you the specific response or individuals because they don't want to get into a back and forth email. They're too busy for that. But they're polite enough to say, not at this time, not a right match for us. And so you should always reach back out um, to all those non-specific notes. If you, let's say you reached out to 30 companies and they all said, not at this time, not a right match, these generic things. And um, so what Jeff is saying do I need to get permission to send again? Um, which is a good question. I'm surprised I don't remember having even got that question. So I've been telling people to, to reach back out, um, move on to some other project. Because some people, what they'll do is they go, oh, I couldn't license it. Well, this is the product and I'm going to do this no matter what. And then they start, they start a business and they invest 50,000, 100,000, 200,000. Talked to somebody the other day, quarter million dollars. Because I'm going to, because I know this is a good idea. I'm going to make it work no matter what. Well, they weren't looking at their business model and with licensing, all the risk is on them. So maybe waiting six months and still trying to put the risk on them for that product, but working on licensing another product is a much more level-headed approach. If you don't want to start a business and you don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to barely get started and create a one skew one product company that nobody wants to buy from from scratch, because I'll be honest with you guys, retailers don't want your one product. They don't want to deal with you. So imagine, I give this an example before. Imagine you're a buyer, Bed Bath & Beyond. I have no idea how many SKUs are. Let's just make it up. Let's say they have 50,000 SKUs. Okay, a SKU is a stock keeping unit. So it could be like three different colors of the same thing would be three different stock keeping units. But usually just say SKUs, products, whatever. So let's say they have 50,000 SKUs and every single product had a different vendor the buyer would want to poke their eyes out. I mean, you can't deal with that many people. So they like to deal with vendors. They have five, 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 products with. And when you license to those companies and they have a manufacturer rep calling on the buyer at these retailers, you are that big company. So not only can they get it in the stores, but more importantly, they can maintain and keep it in the stores. 
So as a one skew one product company, if you try to manufacture the product and sell it yourself, they do not want to deal with you. Now, I'm not saying, and I have great respect for people that fight tooth and nail to get distribution at retailers for their one product, okay? Um, but it's very, very hard. And quite often, you're going to get kicked to the curb by some manufacturer's rep. Well, you get kicked to the curb by the buyer, but manufacturer's rep for some big company calls them go, hey, Bob, the buyer, I, I got these uh, two new products. You know, we got these other products on your shelf already, these five other products. I'll give you a discount on those if you can put these two on the shelf. And guess what? That buyer is looking around going, who can I kick off the shelf? And maybe your product, if you work tooth and nail to get in just as a one product company to sell the product yourself and get a buyer interested, you got in, but and your product is selling well. But they'll probably kick you to the curb to favor that big company that's giving them discounts and they got multiple products. And they're like, that's yeah, selling okay, but you know, I think you know, I'd rather deal with this big manufacturer. So I, I hate to say it, but that's true. So when you license to a big company, you are that big company. So keep that in mind. Nothing wrong with manufacturing, selling the product yourself, but you will not survive unless you then create a whole product line. And then it's like, well, Andrew, that's not what I intended. I, I had a kitchen gadget here and then I had an automotive product over there. Maybe I want to work on next, but I, I don't want to just do a line of kitchen stuff. And now I got five, six products. And now I'm more about running the business than I am about inventing. So, um, so just throwing that out there because there's always people on the show that are um, actively thinking, do I want to venture, which is a fancy way of saying make it and sell myself, or do I want a license, receive royalties, let it be their money, their workforce, and their distribution, and just tap into that mega corporation, that giant machine. It might not be a mega corporation. They're just very big. There's very big companies that sell at uh, Walmart or Target or whoever, and they don't need to be the biggest, but they're very big, and they can sell in those places, so tap into that. Um, so, uh, so getting back to Jeff's question, uh, he's saying he's, I think, been watching and he's saying, well, okay, if I'm reaching back out six months later, cause I got all these non-specific no's, but that doesn't mean the project's dead. Just means they were, might've been busy and they didn't want to tell me that. And the next time I send to them, maybe two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. So that's why I'm going to send it to them. Most inventors would never do that. Never. I mean, most inventors wouldn't even take the time to get the no's from 30 companies, let alone send again to 30 companies that said no. Now, again, when I ever give this example, if, if you have three companies that said it won't work because of this and you can't fix that, don't submit to those three companies and ask yourself, is that true? Are they telling me it won't work because of this? Or it's going to be too expensive because of that. And then maybe your project's dead in the water based on what they have to say. Now, sometimes they just... So, I'm sorry, talk out of their butt sometimes. And I'll I'll have a, a, an inventor, one of our students say, a company said this and I, I know their product well. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that makes no sense. Like they're just randomly saying something. And sometimes they don't know what to say. They feel like they need to say something. So really make sure what they say makes sense. It's just if one company tells you one thing, don't think that's the law and that's how everybody else will think. But actively go, does that make sense? Right? Um, so if you're not going to reach back out six months later if you get a no from 30 companies. If three companies tell you, well, this is the problem, and then you can't fix it, and you're like, yeah, that is a problem, then you're done with the project. Don't go bothering people that said no already because they probably noticed the same thing. But very, very commonly, you'll get very nonspecific no's or not at this time kind of messages. 
And so, Jeff, should you ask permission to send it again? No, I just I just send it. You know, they already said they're okay with receiving ideas. I think in that case, I would just send it. Um, I wouldn't ask permission to send it again. That's a very good question. I'm surprised. I don't remember ever how I got that question before, which is, um, but I think I've been talking about this approach in not giving up and not giving in if you believe in your product. And that doesn't mean switching your entire business model and go, well, I couldn't license it. Screw them. I'm going to start my own business, mortgage my house and home. Maybe my kids will be on the street, but I don't care because I'm going to do what's right for my product, you know, or doing it knowing full well you don't have the skills to venture it. I met an inventor at SuperZoo. He couldn't license his product. He started to venture it. He's like, man, I've been doing this for years. I'm just drowning. This isn't what I want to do. And I'm like, yeah, why'd you do it then? He's like, well, I want to see my product in the market no matter what. And then he was back at SuperZoo to, to try to license it. And I'm like, good for you. And he had a nice finished product and stuff, which is not required to license. But um, so don't, Dump your business model if you decide your business model is licensing just because you can license one single single product. I mean, that's that's silly. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and don't go. But if you want to, if you want to mix match, you want to try to venture something. I'm not going to tell you don't do it. But for most people, it's not right. And when you highlight all the things you need to do to run a business, people are like, I don't want to do that. Or they they don't look at it. They get into it. And then they're just drowning and they're just going, oh, my God, this isn't what I wanted. And so you have to be way beyond passionate about your product to run a business. You have to be passionate about running a business, enjoy working with people, employees, managing cash flow, workers comp, all this crap you need to do when you're running a business. And you have to deal with that. And so if you're not willing to deal with that and you don't have the money to do it, which requires an incredible amount of money, um, sometimes for some products, the mold might cost you a hundred grand, you know, some other products not, but you know, it's, it's, you have no idea the kind of money it takes to venture. And so you need the people that have done it or have tried to venture their product and sell it themselves. They respect all that much more what the potential licensee is going to do for you when you license it. But so I think that's not a bad thing. That's a hard lesson to learn, but realize they're taking huge risks and they're risking all their money and they're just renting it. If they don't perform, they need to give it back to you. So licensing is a beautiful thing. Um, uh, okay. All right. So uh, Houston says, Hey, Andrew, I'm currently a member in VentRight, so that's cool. So he's got a coach and everything. We don't have is, is that many actual VentRight students on these chats. Usually it's non-students, so that's cool. Um, currently a member of VentRight, and I have a question about an idea I'm working on. My idea is a simulator that will be used to educate students in the medical field. It's cool. Um, because my idea is functional and similar to the real-world technology, do you think this could cause problems when trying to file a PPA? Um, I don't know. There's no way I could answer that, Houston, without getting more and deep into the project. You have a medical, you you have a simulator that will educate students in the medical field. So why would that create a problem? Um, do you think, because my idea is functional and similar to real-world technology, oh, do you think this could cause problems when trying to follow PPA? Probably not. I think your your solution is how are you, 
you're solving problems. And whoever is does those medical devices, they probably would really like you to do that sort of training, or maybe not. Don't quote me on that. But um, you're using the devices privately. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, your your PPA, which is your, part of your question, really, is what is your um, simulator? Your, your your simulator. What's unique to your simulator? You know, and I don't think that's going to infringe on. Um, other people's patents because you're using a simulator to teach something, you know? Um, so I, I really don't think so. But, you know, talk to your coach more. You can get me involved if need be. I'm happy to jump in. But without looking at it specifically, uh, but on the surface, I really don't see that as being a problem. But talk to your coach about it. And then show them exactly what you're doing. And then they can tell you like, well, why would that be a problem? Or, or oh, it might be. Um, so that's one of those questions without knowing your specific product, I can't completely answer it um, or really give it a good answer, to be honest. Um, Deidre said, loving this InventRight expertise advice. Thank you, Deidre. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Andrew. You're the, you, you, you are the best. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, uh, Brian, Brian Dow, I've heard that this is, that it's okay to try to contact different people at the same company. How does this work out? Won't the different contacts be talking to each other? Yes, quite often they are. I think it's perfectly okay. We tell our students perfectly okay to contact multiple people in the company. But once you have a contact that then starts engaging with you, you should stop. Because like if you, you get a no from one guy and then you're going a bunch of other, and then they show it back to that same guy and they're like, yeah, I already told this guy no. You know, so Perfectly okay. I don't think you're going to get yourself into trouble reaching out to multiple folks um, until you get your 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 Superman, Superwoman, that contact that engages with you. Then I would stop reaching out to others because um, sometimes it can go in the same channel. Sometimes it doesn't even remotely go in the same channel. It's a big company with five divisions. And you just want to get interest from anybody that can help move it forward. So perfectly okay in my mind until you make that contact where they're starting to communicate with you. I'm totally okay. Um, Sharon said, would a minute of video of my patented product be a good idea since I don't have a prototype? Uh, it would cost me tons of money to make a prototype, so that's not an option. So would one minute video, well, usually, so, and I want to redefine what a video for your invention could be. We always tell our students, you really want to make it under 60 seconds, occasionally under 90, but really under 60 seconds. And if you're doing a video, you don't want to lose them in the first 10 or 15 seconds. Hi, my name is Bob. And I've been inventing for a long time. It's like, click. No, you know, don't do that. So you really want to engage them. You know, we always say when you have a sell sheet, a one page PDF, um, they need to get it in like six seconds. Right. And if you don't, they're making them work too hard. And they're going to think, well, our customers are going to have to work too hard, too. They don't have time for that. They don't have time for long, rambling emails. They have time for a one page sell sheet advertisement, six seconds, boom, I get the main benefit. And if it's a video, you don't want to lose them in the first 10 seconds with some inventor rambling on, or you want to be direct to the point about the product. But I also want to redefine what a video can be. The video could just simply be a series of still images with somebody narrating it or text. Um, I like the narration better. I think it's better to pay somebody to, to make it sound good and narrate it. And if you have a great voice, you can narrate it. Um, but I think a one minute video would be great. And so some people are like, well, Sharon, you don't have a prototype, so you can't do a video. And that's not true. 
So let's say Sharon has this dog toy, right? And let's 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 do a variation, and then we'll address it directly. Let's say the dog toy is something you bought at the store, and you literally cannibalized it. You duct taped it together, right? Um, but you got a picture of it, so you show that picture up on the screen, the picture of a pro of a nice looking prototype because you take a picture from the right side, you don't see the duct tape, or you get a virtual prototype made. We do that for our students. We do that for about seventy percent of our students. You do a virtual prototype and it's showing, but then you break away to the moving video and you, you show her, you know, she's throwing the, the, the toy and the dog's going crazy for it because it's moving around on the ground or something. The dog grabs and comes back, but you don't really see the duct tape, you know, or maybe if you did, it's like in a distance, but they just saw a picture of like, oh, it's like a virtual product. This is what it's going to look like. So um, Sharon, videos are great. The question is, do you even need a video? Could you do a sell sheet, a one page advertisement? with a virtual prototype, we do that for our students, or do you need to do a video? So usually you do one or the other or both. Um, I've seen products where I'm like, oh, video would be great for that, just do the video. And then I've had um, other ones where it's like, uh, you kind of want the sell sheet, but there's gonna be a link to an un unlisted YouTube video, unlisted, nobody can see it, except for people with the link, and you'll have both. So it's like, you have the sell sheet, you have some still pictures, and then you click on it, and then it shows the YouTube video unlisted and it shows a little bit more or it shows the, the, the same. Now I had, um, we just had a company come on. I can't mention who it is. It's a, we have this program called Bridging the Gap. Where we bring on two companies a month, usually CEOs. This gentleman was a uh, head of all of marketing, I believe. And um, he came on and he said, I love videos, but I kind of like, don't like it when I have to pause the video to see something. It's nice to have a sell sheet in addition. Every company is going to be different. They're not all the same. They're all going to be different. Haven't had a company, heard a company say that before. I'm sure somebody thought about it, but he says like, you know, if you send me a video, I'd like to at least have some still pictures. I don't recommend doing that. I think if you're going to send pictures, they should always be in a marketing presentation in the sell sheet, one page PDF. Um, so yeah, Sharon, uh, if you don't, have a prototype. You could do a one minute video. You could do a sell sheet. You get a virtual prototype done. Um, most of our students, a good percentage of our students don't have um, prototypes. They definitely don't have production ready prototypes. You do not need a finished product in order to license your, your product. You also don't need a prototype quite often. Now it depends. Uh, maybe I consider a prototype to be a virtual prototype. That is a prototype. Um, maybe it's something that's cannibalized. Maybe it looks good. Take a picture of maybe it doesn't, but it looks good enough to show in a video. Like, and they can kind of see how it's going to work. A lot of times they're <clears throat> going to take a look at what you're doing and going, oh yeah, we can do that. Right. And, and you might even show them similar examples of other products so they can see these other products and go, and you're just saying, well, it's like this, but they're, and they're like, oh yeah, they're making that for 1995. And then it isn't, it's somewhat similar. It has the same amount of material or has it, and you were just changing this one piece and there's things you can do like that. So you can absolutely do a video without a prototype, but you got to just, you got to figure out, Sharon, what am I going to, what are you going to show? What are you not going to show? Is it going to come across well? And some products you really need a demonstration, but it's also nice for them to have something they can pass around the board, the boardroom when they're looking at it, that's not a video. So they don't, somebody doesn't need to show like, okay, guys, we got a meeting. We got these five new products that people have sent into us. And let me play this video. Let me, let me pause it right here. So you can see what it is, you know, instead of just printing up some sell sheets or emailing it to people and they can look at it. So those are just some things to think about. 
Um, Valentino, hi, Valentino. How you doing? Eric, hey, hey Eric, you're welcome. Um, uh, Stiv said, hi, Andrew. Inventrite, does Inventrite have any what's groups? What's groups? If any, how could we participate? I don't know what a what's group is. Um, we have two, we have a couple levels of help. So one is completely free. So it's our YouTube channel. I, I think we're going to hit 700 YouTube shows sometime soon here. So it's completely free. And if you've been watching YouTube shows, you know, Steve and I, we aren't mentioning our program every two minutes. We aren't trying to pitch you or sell you. We're not trying to give you advice. It's like some sort of half-assed advice to try to then sell you our coaching. It's really transparent and clear. And I think I'm biased kick-ass advice. And it's totally free. So you can watch our YouTube show. Then you can step up a notch. You can read our books. The first book any of you should read if you read one of our books is our book, One Simple Idea. And so you can look that up on um, on Amazon, One Simple Idea by Stephen Key, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, K-E-Y. And that's a great book. It goes into our 10 steps. If you want to kind of um, get an idea of our 10 steps, that's great. We have some other books as well. How to become a professional inventor kind of makes you realistic with how to approach companies. So you could do our books. And then the next step up would be our academy, our group coaching program, which does include three one-on-one calls, but it's not one-on-one call every week, like our professional inventor program. So it's group coaching calls twice a week, and then you get three calls. And then ours our professional inventor program is a step up from that, which is a one-on, and that's when you see all our students licensing stuff. That's what I, when I see most of our students licensing um, is you're talking to your coach every single week. You got a negotiation coach in the wings. You get smart IP, you get a sell sheet, a virtual prototype. You get smart pitch, which shows you specifically how to use LinkedIn for licensing. But the main thing is you're talking to your coach and you can email him anytime for half a year. That's what it takes to get people up and running. Um, you know, I, you know, to think that you're going to come on board and you just show it to one or two companies and you'll have a licensing deal and a royalty check in your pocket within a month. That's a joke. That's not the way it works. So you got to be committed to doing this. Um, you can be committed to doing it, whether you're doing it with us or not, or you can just keep going in circles, which is what most inventors do. They just go in circles and circles and circles. They think about it, but they don't actually take action. Our students take action because the coach is right on top of you, encouraging you, telling you for this product specifically what you want to do. Like Houston was asking a very specific question about his, um, his medical simulator trainer. And I can't answer that unless I'm helping him one-on-one, you know, but his coach can, and they can go over what was important there. Um, uh, let's see. So I don't know what a what's group is. I, I don't know if, what that is, Stiv, but if you can, Type down later uh, what that is. You can tell me. Uh, uh, Houston said, shout out to my coach, Kirk. That's great. Kirk's great, uh, Houston. You can, uh, Kirk's going to help you figure that out. Not a problem. And, you know, the coaches will conference me in occasionally. We're rarely needed. The coaches are so good. Um, So... I don't know. I don't, Brian, you started to type a question. Okay. If one marketing manager says something, and if one marketing manager at a company says not at this time, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I think what Brian is saying is, let's, so let's say I send it, and it goes to a particular marketing manager, and they're like, not at this time. 
and then you go and send it to another marketing manager and then they send it back to him, you know, uh, you could kind of think you're a bit of a dick, you know? Um, I've seen that happen a couple of times. Um, I think it might be better at that point to wait. I mean, if they really did give you a qualified answer and they said no because of this, then then definitely that's kind of a sucky move, you know. But if it was really nonspecific, I don't know, what's the worst case thing can happen? They're like, yeah, I already saw this. Why are you bothering with this again? But it's not like it takes up a ton of their time. I've seen people do that and do that successfully. I generally um, recommend against it. I mean, if you got like 29 more companies, I'd reach out to those companies and see what you can make happen. Then maybe you can circle around, approach somebody else in the company, and maybe some time has passed at that point. Um, but that's a good question, Brian. I'm kind of reading into what it was kind of disconnected. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can't. There's other people putting more questions in between yours. So that's why it was disconnected. Um, Carlos said, hi, Andrew, if your invention does not work properly at first, first round and creates problems the first time around, would we be able to work around this? So if your invention does not work properly. So are you like basically saying, let's see, and then do you have protection of future modifications related to your patent or do you file a new patent? to fix the issues. Okay, so you you worked with the company, you tried to get them to work out some of the kinks maybe, or you're talking with them and there's some reason it didn't work out. Um, a lot of inventing, this is, a, this is a great tip, guys. A lot of inventing happens after you approach the company. You're adjusting to their feedback. And you need to let them know you're open to feedback. You need to let them know you don't have a chip on your shoulder and you're not defensive about it, okay? And and if you approach things and you make bold statements like, you know, everyone will buy one and you make a bunch of stupid statements like that, then they start to go, okay, this guy's not real. We can't really share with them what our issues are. But if you're approachable and you don't say stupid stuff like that or other stupid things, then, then they're like, well, okay, uh, China came back. They said, we're a problem here and here. And, and, and you're like, you know, let me, what do you guys think? And they're like, I, I think this might be a killer and might kill the project. And well, let, let me think on it a bit. Like, can you give me a little bit more on what's the problem? Oh, with this and this, or this material, or this is, then you come back with a solution. You can actually, what I really like part of your question is you can file, then you can then just file another provisional. We guide our students to use our software, 75 bucks, file a provisional. Take the existing provisional, add your improvement. You got this fixed before you show it to them. Not really necessary, but I would go for it. File another provisional and then show them the improvement. They're like, ooh, you, you fixed it, you know? And, and so it's very common for our students to help the company. Like, like I, I remember this one student just, it was a couple weeks ago, and the student said that, the, the licensee, the manuf the company said, oh, well, they said, China said they can't make it, you know? And he's like, what? What can't they make? That doesn't mean, well, they said it's not going to work. What What's not going to work? And they explained and they talked to the marketing manager and they said, well, that doesn't make any sense. The marketing manager's like, he was so busy. He was just taking their word for it. And he's like, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. And he said, and so the inventor was like, go back to him. So 
don't think that the companies always have the time or put in the time or always make sense. And he looked at it. And he's like, you know, you're right. So some, well, some inventors would be like, oh, okay, well, that's stupid. And then get all pissed off at the company. And But he said he had a talk with the marketing manager. Marketing manager, you're right. I took a closer look at that. That doesn't make any sense. It's totally doable. This is a simple product. Like, what are they talking about? You know? Um, so conversations like that happen and other conversations where you're, you're helping, you're actively reinventing the product with the company. And yes, you should file a provisional patent on that then too. Yeah, so it's a great question, Carlos. You guys are really good questions. Um, Lynn said, besides the provisional patent, can we also help with other uh, patent, pro patent products like CIPs, continuation in, in part? Yeah, you can. That can get really expensive. I mean, our, our students are usually... We have plenty of students that come on board having already filed patents. Like, okay, we're going to do what we can with that. Since you already blew all that money, let's let's try to help you license it. Let's let's put your best foot forward and license this thing because you blew a, you, you spent 15k on a patent. You didn't need to do that. You could have spent 75 bucks on a provisional, gone fishing, then get them to pay for the patent. But but it so so Jen, with your question, uh, sorry, that was Lynn, um, with the continuation part. If you're really a high-functioning event rights student, you're not filing patents. You're not doing. You're not needing to do continuations in part. You're you're just filing a provisional and going. You, the second you file it, you got an entire year. But most inventors don't. They file. This is what most inventors do. They get excited about the provisional, which they should because it's really cool. You can say patent pending for a year, um, but then they just sit on their hands. They don't know how to approach companies, and then the time runs out. You know, and yeah, you can file it again if you hadn't made a public disclosure. But what's the good of that? That's just ridiculous. That's just a waste of time. So, you know, Lynn, our students don't need to do that because they file a provisional patent application and they see what the interest level is and they might file another based on some feedback or something. And then you get the company as an advance on royalties, maybe to give you the money for the patent. And then you give that to your attorney and then your attorney will reference those provisionals. So I, I really can't even remember the last time one of our students need to use uh, a CIP. Um, but yeah, that is something you can do. That's much more costly. Um, Jen said, I, lic I license in the children's craft kit space. Some of what I'm working on is really just combining two or more products. For example, a yoga mat that kids decorate so it sells with stencils and paint. Yeah, that's great. So... You know, you, you can definitely um, patent kits. That's definitely a doable thing. Um, but a lot of companies that are doing those types of products, let's say it's selling at um, at uh, uh, one of these craft stores, Michael's or one of these other craft stores or, or elsewhere, um, those kinds of companies, they don't really care that much about patents. They're not going to blow a bunch of money on patents for a yoga mat that you can decorate with sparkles or something, you know, they're just not. So our students do licensing deals all the time. And the company's like, we don't want to file a patent, but yeah, we'll sign an agreement that says we need to pay you for every unit we sell. So there's this misperception that you can't receive money without a patent and it's complete BS. It's not true. Now, in brutal industries, really, really difficult industries, like an industry my partner is in with packaging, like, you know, a toothpaste tube or uh, packaging products going, they're selling bazillions of units. There's so much money involved there. Are you going to do a deal with a packaging company the, that um, with no patents? No, you're not. But in so many categories, like what um, 
Jen is saying here, um, you can all the time. So, so it is, you could totally do a PPA on a yoga mat with a, a, a kit and you can do kits. You could totally do that. And you create this perceived, perceived protection because you can put patent pending on there. And you could totally do that, Jen. And I would by and large for 75 bucks when you're trying to get comfortable with licensing, I would do that. Now, some people, they, they really get up and running and they're working on just a large volume of products and they go, you know what, in this category, I'm not going to bother. If I get some traction, then I'll file it. I am not saying you should do that. We always tell all our students to always file a provisional. And to be honest with you, when you're new to this and you, you, you're just getting up and running, I, I think you should do it for your own peace of mind. It will make you less paranoid. Um, and I think it's generally a good thing to do anyway. Um, so uh, yeah, don't like worry about that. Just create a good, what you should worry about, Jen, and everybody is you should worry about having a good marketing piece, having a good list of companies, not being lazy and really not giving up till you get a no from like 30 companies in most cases. Yeah, sometimes you only have 12 or eight, but you know, that's what you should worry about. Not the patent. It's not, and I'm saying it just for emphasis, it's not important at all compared to your effort on reaching out to companies. It's really not important. Inventors don't focus on the right stuff. Um, and so I'm just saying that to emphasize where you place your concern. Should you be worried like, oh, are they going to get this in six seconds? Yeah. Should you be worried like, oh, I have an anemic list of companies. So I could have 30 when I only have three because I'm just going for what's ever front of my face because I don't know how to make my list. And that's something one of our coaches could help you with. Um, but to worry about the protection not so worried about it. Again, saying that to emphasize, to make a point. Um, do you want to file a PPA? Yeah. Do you want to do a good job with it? Yeah. But don't worry about it. And are some companies going to say, no, we don't want to do patents. You can do one if you want, but we're not going to invest in that. So when a big company doesn't even want to invest and they have a lot of money, what does that tell you? They're like, it's not necessary in the space we're in, or we don't really care. And in some Industries, one company will care tremendously and then one company could give a rat's ass. They're like, this is a good product. We're going to sell it. And, and to be honest with you, the bigger the company is, sometimes the less they care sometimes because um, they're like, no, we got great distribution. I, I had a, um, a story. I, it's been a while since I told the story. So I had a student. They went really far in negotiations, but they never talked about patents. And I thought it was really cool because our student just moved forward. Company wasn't obsessing over it. Student didn't even mention it. And at some point he said, so, so are, are you, do you guys want to file a patent on this? You want me to file a patent on this? And they're like, and they, I love what they said. And they said it basically like this verbatim. Most companies won't be this direct, but they said, we don't care about patents. We're the biggest guy on the block. They happen to be the biggest player in that category. We will crush the competition with our distribution. We could care less about patents. That was their take on patents. Another company could be a smaller company. And they're like, oh, yes, that's very important to us. It's very important. You know, or other ones are like, yeah, we kind of like the window dressing. You know, it's like we can say patent pending. We kind of like that. But they're not like obsessed about it. So it's all over the map. Most of them are right in the middle road. They're like, yeah, we kind of like kind of care about it. Yeah. Um, but you'd be surprised. Some of you are like, no, and we're not paying for it. And but we'll pay you royalties on it. So and when they sign the licensing agreement saying they have to pay you royalties on, they're going to have to pay you regardless. People trip out on that. They they misunderstand. They don't know the difference between a patent and a licensing agreement. Licensing agreement, whatever in, is in it, they have to hold. They you have to, you can hold them to it. You know if they agree to it. 
and quite often they do. So um, let's see. Uh, so, so this is a good example. So, so by the way, guys, um, don't share any, I think, I thought that was just a hypothetical Jen was sharing, but don't share anything confidential on this. You guys, it's pretty obvious, but so, but Jen was giving us an example, a yoga mat that kids could decorate. So it has stencils or paint on it. And she said, do you consider this unique enough to be licensed? Absolutely. I do. It's a lot of fun. I know my, my daughter's nine. And she goes on and off with pretending to do yoga a little bit, to be honest. And we put her in front of some YouTube videos and stuff, or she'll do it with her mom. But um, but would she like something like that? Yeah, I totally think she would like something like that. Um, so I think that as that uh, that is an example, I think that is unique enough to be licensed, Jen. Absolutely. Um So Scuba Steve said, once the PPA is filed, can the invention be publicly disclosed? And why is this such a big deal to not publicly disclose an invention until the PPA is filed? And why doesn't publicly disclose and why doesn't publicly disclosing an invention prove the original invent inventor? So, you know, they they switched. Sorry, I'm knocking my table here. They switched from a first inventor first true inventor to a first true inventor to file system a while back. So it used to be like you didn't file anything. You didn't file anything. There wasn't a PPA. And you could have your inventor's notebook and you could prove, hey, I got my inventor's notebook. I was the first true inventor here. I can invalidate something else. And, and um, that's no longer the case. So from the time you make a public disclosure, you start the one-year on-bar rule from ticking, regardless of whether or not you filed a PPA. So first off, I, you, when you're licensing, you shouldn't be publicly disclosing anything. Sometimes people have weird thoughts like, well, I want to put it on Facebook so everybody can like it and people can see it. A company could care less that 100 people liked it on Facebook. It means nothing. Even if you did 100 people in a focus group and you paid 100 people, gave them pizza, paid them 20 bucks for an hour or two. They could care less about that too because it's been shown that only one in 10 people in a focus group and especially on Facebook, oh my God, who cares about that? Um, that only one in 10 people in a focus group that said they would buy it will actually buy it when you ask them to open up their wallet. It means nothing. Now, one thing that can be good with a focus group and if you ever do a focus group, most of our students never do it. I rarely hear about it. But um is you can get feedback. You can show, see that they're confused with the instructions. You can see they're like, I don't know what this thing does. You can show them your marketing piece, you know, stuff like that. But get them all to sign a non-disclosure agreement. So do not publicly disclose your invention. It's not necessary. You're going to privately show it to marketing managers. Um, and it doesn't start the one-year on-bar rule from ticking, okay? And so you can look that up. But... Um, if you file a PPA and you haven't started made a public disclosure and that year hits, you could actually file that again and get another year. It doesn't start from the original PPA. It starts a new PPA. So there's a lot of reasons not to make a public disclosure. Sometimes inventors, they just want everybody to see it and say they like it. But the only opinion that really matters, my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion on how to market or one of our coaches opinion, on how to do the sell sheet, the list of companies and, and intellectual property strategy and all that, that matters. But 
whether I would buy it or not, who cares? I'm not the one investing in it. The only person's opinion that truly matters is the opinion of the manufacturer that's going to license it because they're the ones putting their money behind it, right? And, and, and nobody's going to be impressed with the fact that you sold 300 units. That's not impressive. That's almost a downer. It's like they would expect to sell 300,000 units or 50,000 units a year. You're like, well, I sold 300 and you're all proud. And they're like, oh, maybe this doesn't make sense. Whereas if you just present them the product and they can see the marketing, now in their mind, the sky's the limit. And you're not talking about how you sold 10 and your mom likes it or a few people like it here or there. That I think that can actually hurt you. Now, with if you do sell a few units and you got nice testimonials, that can be nice. That can help you. That's a positive. So you do not need to have sold a single unit to license it. Let them use their smarts because they know products in the space of, of that product category. If they're doing gardening stuff, they really know it. If they're doing kitchen stuff, they really know it. You don't need to tell them their business. And they look at it and go, oh, I know. I, know. I think our customers would want to buy this if I saw it because you sent it to them in a way in which you marketed it the way they would. You show them the marketing that they would do. And most inventors absolutely suck at that. Um, if you're, I've had, you know, and I'll say I've had professional marketers become, come on board with us as students and they're professional marketers. And I look at their other stuff and it's good. And I look at what they did for their product and it's not good or it's just okay because they're up in their own head about their own product. So even professional marketers I've seen struggle with their own inventions. So when you have a coach that can help you look at it like the customer look at it and, and guide you so you can become better at doing sell sheets, then I think at some point you don't need them anymore. It's a skill that you need to learn to make a good marketing piece. And you would think that everybody in the United States would be good at it. Now, I started marketing in college. I didn't learn much about marketing in college, but I probably did learn a little bit. But I, I just naturally knew how to market things because that's how I gravitated. But other people are creative, but they just can't market for shit. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, it's like, really, I, I don't understand that, to be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. When you've been marketed to and you live in the United States and you just constantly get bar bombarded with ads, why can't you? You've already been trained in a way to know what a good marketing piece is. Look at it. But when it's your own invention, you lose that ability. And But we guide our students to do great marketing and then our design studio makes it pretty. And then get that experience like sometimes it's painful with some students and for them and for the coach, they got to go back and forth multiple times before the marketing's right. And then our design studio makes it pretty. But that was a good thing because when you struggle to make this marketing piece good and the coach is like, no, I don't know. I'm not feeling that six seconds. I got it. Maybe this, maybe that. And you're experiencing it. And then you're moving your bullet point up to a benefit statement and changing what the picture should be. Then you felt it, you experienced it, and you become a better marketer. So I think that not only do we train people to become good inventors, to be able to license their products, but we train them to be good marketers. But when even professional marketers sometimes struggle because it's their own product, because they're not they're up in their own head about it, whereas if it's somebody else's, it's a little easier. Um, it, it's not an easy thing to do, and it is the, the most important thing you could do, way more important than patents. They don't care about your patent. If your product doesn't make sense, they don't show interest, right? So I'm um, sorry to ramble so much on that. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, sometimes I try to approach this Monday Q&A as if I'm talking to one person. 
you know, where I'm, I'm like your coach and I'm guiding you on some, like I saw something you were doing wrong or I need, you needed guidance to do it right to begin with. And I'm guiding you. So hopefully it comes across well and I'm not angry or anything. I'm just trying to really burn it into your brain so you guys find this helpful. Um, let's see. Deidre, hi, and major, major company representing me, oh, showing 45, showing 45 companies is now time to discuss minimum guarantee performance clauses and other that you and Stephen talked about. I have a PPA in place. I don't know what you mean, Deidre. So I, I don't, a, is a company representing you? to sell your invention for you? Cause that's a red flag. That sounds like an invention promotion company. I have never met an inventor in the 22 years I've been doing event right in the 14 years that I ran my inventors association ever personally that has had an invention promotion company license a product for them. Look at our testimonial pages. It goes down and down and down all the pro products that our students have licensed because our students are doing the work and our coaches are guiding them to do that work. I don't know if invention promotion companies are doing the work. They would license way more products and I don't see them licensing products because what happens is I talk to somebody every day or every other day that this has been taken for 10 or 12 K. How much do you give this company that said they would license your product for you? Oh, $10,000. So it was 10 or $12,000. And they're either in the midst of it or it happened to them a year ago. And, and they're like, yeah, I don't even know what they're doing, you know, and they won't give me the list of companies they're sending to. And even if they did, how could I prove that they called that company? You know, so I have to assume that it's not happening because their success rate is so abysmal. Like you, you see our students licensing all the time and our students are licensing because they're doing the work and the coach is doing the work with them and they're making it happen. So um, I, I don't know what I, I'm just going off on a tangent there, Deidre, because I don't know what you mean by Andrew Major Company representing me showing 45 companies is now time to, is it now time to discuss minimum guarantees? I, I, I don't know. So yeah, I, 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 that doesn't make sense to me, Deidre. If you, if I haven't talked to you before Deidre and you're interested in getting coaching, you can go on InventRight, click on contact us and you can book an appointment or then it would be with Sylvia. So um, you can call a main number and you can book an appointment with me if you, if you're interested in getting coaching. Um, but I'm not really sure what you're saying there. Um, William said, even in these COVID times, I still think if you can present in person, that is an optimal way. I've had much better results doing it that way. Uh, I don't know, William. I, I, I don't really agree, but I could see some situations where it might make sense. Any inventor that approaches a marketing manager saying, I want to fly out and meet with you, to show you what it is and not show them. That's just, that's just stupid, man. That's just the biggest waste of time I could possibly imagine. I've had inventors where um, they get interest. They set a sell sheet, they get interest and they're like, Oh, company wants me to fly out. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. They're, oh, but it's only hundred miles away or it's halfway across the country. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. And they're like, well, why? And I'm like, because the right people won't be there. It's not how licensing works. And you're going to waste your time and waste your money for the hotel, the flight, all that stuff. Okay. And so licensing deals don't work that way, guys. Like when you get interest from a company, like you make a phone call, 
it's, you know, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then there's another email and another phone call, another email and go back and forth and talk here. Well, we're going to get some quotes here and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's a back and forth. It's not like I, if, if you think you're going to meet somebody in person and fly out, you've been watching too much Shark Tank. You know, you think that that's how deals are done. It's totally not how deals are done at all. Um, and you're going to dance in the corporate boardroom table and the right people will be in the room. Do you really think the manufacturing guy and the marketing person and then another person is going to be all be in the room at the same time? They don't have time for that. You're wasting their freaking time. And most so to not tell them what your invention is, William, and to say, I want an in-person meeting. I can't imagine a bigger waste of your time, William. Now, I also believe you that you've been in scenarios where you did a, an in-person meeting and it was beneficial. I, I believe you. I believe you in that. Um, but they, people don't have the time these days. So now also they don't want to hear you ramble in person. So you should still have, have a demo where they get it right away. Now what, and I see this, I'm not really seeing this very much um, except in the toy business, but one of our coaches who's big into toys, she's licensed a bunch of stuff there, April, and she's in this toy business. She's doing a lot of Zoom meetings. So it's kind of personal, like that she got a little interest with the sell sheet. Now, she didn't get the meeting. They weren't going to waste her time, even with a Zoom meeting, until they had seen her video or her sell sheet. But now they want to talk about it. And now they want to do it on Zoom. And I think that's great because you can look them in the eyes. You can demo it. It's personal. I, I agree with you, Wilma. That can be great. I don't see that happening a lot outside the toy business, but if they want to do it or you want to suggest it and they're open to it, that could be a nice middle ground. And if you feel like you're confident, which I think you are, William, it sounds like, um, to present and not ramble in person. Some people are afraid of that. They'd rather be on the phone and just referring to the sell sheet that kind of did the selling for them. That could be beneficial, William. Also, if you're at trade shows, that can be beneficial. But realize that trade shows, I just got back with one from with our other co-founder, Stephen went to Super Zoo, the pet trade show, they're there to sell, not to buy. The last thing you should be doing is rambling or taking up a bunch of their time with a demo in the middle and showing everybody else that's walking around. The main thing you're doing there is you're getting their card. You're not giving your card. I could care less about that. But you're, you're getting somebody, they come up to the booth and let's say it's a young person and they're like, you tell them what, you know, I'm looking to license this product, your company, I license new products, you guys open that. And they're like, oh, that would be Bob. And it's like, Oh, let me bring him over. And he comes over and he's like, what are, you, what are we looking at here? And you, you explain to him and he's like, yeah, we're, we're open to that. And for the most part, what you're going to do in that situation is just get his card. Thank you. And you give him yours just to be polite, but you're going to follow up with him. You're not going to give him your card. And I had a few people that at the show, because I was finding new companies for a bridging the gap thing where we bring on companies that for our students that are looking for ideas, we do two CEOs a month on that. And they didn't have a card because she just ran out, this one woman. She was actually new at the company. And she didn't have cards yet, but she, man, she was interested. They took a picture of her badge. I said, I'll get back to you. She understood that. Do not ever expect to give somebody's card and expect them to follow up with you from a trade show. That's the biggest joke in the world. Okay. So, um, William, yeah, I agree with you. In-person meetings could be great, but for you to fly around the country to tell them, to not tell them what it is, to tease them and to think they're going to get an in-person meeting with the right people in the room to fly around the country God, man, don't do that to yourself. But when you can get them, they can be great. Also, Zoom can be a middle ground um, where you can be personable. Um, but you can be very personable on the phone, too. So I appreciate what you're saying, William. 
And I, I like it because it helps me kind of um, talk about my perspective on it. And it's going to help a lot of people. But yeah, when you can get them, they can be they can be great. So I'm not going to say no, but I give you my full perspective on it. Um, uh, Rick says, if someone has created an idea that could be a whole product line, would it better would it be better to create the one product for the sell sheet or video, or create that product line and what they choose out of the line? It really depends. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I don't know what you mean by a product line. Sometimes you just have different variations. There could be different colors or a slightly different look. To throw an entire product line at a company is probably not usually a good idea. You usually want to show one product and see if you can get their interest in the general concept if it was a theme product line and then show them more. I would think it would make sense to have more of them in line, you, you could show it, but to take on a whole line is less likely to happen. Um, also, it's a lot more for their to look at to do a one page sell sheet. So what you're trying to do when you're reaching out to companies is to grab their attention in six seconds. That's hard when you give them the sell sheet that's just got, it's just like you threw up on it and it's got everything in the kitchen sink and it's got like 10 different products in it. And now, so now you're uh, resorting to creating this long, PDF or PowerPoint that's got all these pages, and they won't freaking look at it. So I can't say never, Ricks, but by and large, I would show them one product. And then if they say no to that, now you've established a relationship going, hey, I got a whole line here. And if they show interest, then I'd show them the whole line or I'd talk to them first. They're showing interest in one. But if they don't, hey, got a whole line. I think you might be interested in something, then show them the whole thing. But just to show them a whole line, typically, they're not going to be able to get that in six seconds. And that's not, so that's the reason why you don't want to do it. It's a little overwhelming. Now you could make a note, you know, here's a whole line. You could, I, you might be interested in just one or the line. I could see that working. So without looking at what you plan on sending Rick's or understanding your product, um, I can't really say that's another thing that a coach needs to look at and go, what makes sense here? And so I'll state this too, before we wrap up, Sometimes people, inventors like to make things black and white, or people in general like to make things black and white. It makes things easier, right? So when I say things, there's always shades of gray. So generally, I'm saying no to Rick's. Don't send an entire product line. But uh, I've had students license entire product lines. Now, I remember one was this gentleman up in Canada, and he just showed them one. And they liked it. And they're, what else you got? What else you got? And he kept showing them more products. He ended up licensing an entire line of products to one company, which is really cool. It doesn't happen that often. But they wanted more. Send us more. Send us more. We like this. We like this. And I don't think they were very creative, but they saw him as being very creative. So if you can establish the relationship with one product, you've basically opened the door for more. So I don't think it's something to be really concerned about. But I want to get back to the black and white thing. Um, when I say something, don't always take it as black and white. I've had students actually come on board with us, become a coaching student. But Andrew, you said this in a YouTube show. I'm like, is it, is this show? I didn't look at your product. Yes. The 95% of the time I would say go that direction. But for yours, I would say go this direction because I'm looking at it. And now they have a sense of it, you know. And so uh, don't always – you guys aren't students. You're fans. But um, we got, a, I think, a student or two in there. But um, but I want to tell you, give you the same advice as soon as don't always think black and white, think shades of gray sometimes, and it's okay to make some exceptions, you know. But it's nice to have the 
the oh what what is true the majority of time it gives you a feeling um, it gives you a general um, direction to go with and that is what we try to relay on the YouTube show um, and we get into the weeds of it you know when you're a student of ours um, Valentino said, hi, Andrew, how would you get around trying to create a sell sheet on a product that's difficult to draw in general? Um, what I would do is I'd have a virtual prototype done. Oh, I, I have an idea for a product that is more of a mixture of multiple products. Oh, this is perfect. But it looks a little tacky whenever I try to put it together. So you need somebody to do a virtual prototype. We do that for our students, Valentino. Um, and you need to, you can literally you can say, you can go onto Google Images, you can find these products, and you can say, well, it's going to be combining them, and you do a written description of how that would be combined. Um, on we, we Stephen and myself, we co-founded IGA and Better Groups of America. It's, it's free, and we uh, it was to support inventor group leaders who we got to know over the last 22 years, and then we decided to start doing uh, webinars and Zoom sessions for independent inventors, too, and everything is free. And we just did... Um, Courtney, who's actually an EventRight coach too, she just did this whole presentation on how to use Google Slides and remove.bg. It's this website that will remove the background and then hack together two products, two images you found and cut and copy and paste. And like, and it's not what you're going to show most of the time to companies, but it allows somebody that can't draw to show that to a virtual prototyper. But I can tell you, we do 70% of our students we do virtual prototypes for. And along with the coach, we're able to always relay what the product is. The coach kind of helps and guides you through that. Well, okay, let's show this product and this product, and we'll explain how they're combined, and you're going to cut this off. And you, you can do a written. So like, I can't draw a stick figure, but I can do that. And so I think you definitely, Valentino, need to go with a virtual prototype and have somebody help you put it together in words and pictures. You got to have pictures too. So if you can't draw it, that's okay. It's all right. And I think a lot of inventors get hung up on that. Well, I can't draw, so I can't show people. I can't get out of my head. I think most inventors, all this stuff's in your head. You've got very, um, it's in your head and you can't get it out. And it's very frustrating. And so that there's, there's fixes for that. Um, so, and actually, that video is up on the, if you could type in IGA, Better Groups of America on YouTube, we just put up that video. I think we didn't even push it out yet. And there is a video on that. It's like an hour long and it's totally free. And it will help you hack something together so that you can give it to somebody to do a virtual prototype. Okay. Um, Uh, I can't answer that. Steve's asking, what tax type do you list for your LLC, tax identity, employer identity number? So you're going to need to consult your tax advisor for that. Um, I, one thing I will say is when our students do a deal, I always say you need to do an LLC or a corporation. Almost all of them do an LLC. Some people in other countries, we have had students in 65 countries, they're like, what do I do here? And I'm like, it, just do whatever makes sense for you and your country. But um, you want that additional level of protection in the United States that, you know, if somebody comes after you, they're coming after your LLC and there's nothing in it. The royalties are going there and you're emptying it. So, um, but I've never in 22 years have ever had either a company that I'm aware of or a consumer from the company that bought the product from the company they licensed to ever come after a, um, an inventor. Um, 
because you're also covered under the company's product liability insurance, a million or two, and then they don't even know you exist. And if they do, why would they sue you? You don't have deep pockets. They're going to sue that big company. But if they did try to sue you, you have the LLC too. And it's just not, it's just so remote chance that's going to happen. Um, but that's why we insist, like we do not let our students sign contracts under their own name. It should always be an LLC. Cover your butt. It's never happened in 22 years, but it could. And it just makes sense to do an LLC. Um, you know, when you're licensing, if you're using a true invent right approach, you guys are fans, so you might not be, but you're investing very little money in each project. So it's not like you're writing off um, tons of expenses, business expenses. Um, so it's, it's, people will quite often not file LLC, but when they get in the midst of their first deal, they'll file it. Because if you just spent 75 bucks for a provisional patent, a few bucks for a sell sheet, and you didn't go out and blow a ton of money, you're not going to have a bunch of stuff to write off anyway. So you don't have to file an LLC now in order to try to license your product. But when you do the deal, the company could care less if you've been saying your name is this and you're like, oh, I want to do it under this new LLC. They're like, okay, we don't care what company you do it under. So people worry about things like this. So, And I know what people worry about because I've heard the worries for the last 22 years. Um, so uh, just as a thank you guys, um, I spent a full hour answering your questions. You guys know the routine if you've been here before. Um, if you're not subscribed, subscribe to the channel by clicking on the subscribe button. If it already says subscribe, don't click on it because then it will be unsubscribing. Um, and just give us a thumbs up. Watch a ton of our videos. They're all free. We're not trying to pitch you on our course or it's not a course. It's one on one coaching, but we're not trying to pitch you on our coaching every two minutes. So it, I've heard a lot of people. It's really a pleasure to watch you guys. I don't know if I'd want to watch myself that much, but people say it's cool. Um, and we're very honest and transparent and straightforward. So give a thumbs up on a lot of videos. Um, comment down below. Say thank you. That's if you could comment um, down below, that would be great. And not in the chat, but down in the comments below. I don't know if you can do that. I don't think you can do that until I publish it. But if you come back to it, do that. Yeah, I don't think you can do that. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you guys. I appreciate it. And I remind you guys, take care. Keep inventing. Uh, keep the faith. Inventing is part of who you are. It's never going to go away. So you got to learn all this stuff that is not as much fun as coming up with ideas by watching our show, getting coaching, reading our books. Um, and those things will help you do the things you need to do to be successful because the idea is a small part of it. Um, and you got to do the rest. Okay. See you guys. Bye.